Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Happy 4th of July. Really excited to be with you all. Thanks for being here on the holiday. My name is John Crawford, and I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to be continuing our series, Rebuilding in Nehemiah, today. Well, I remember it just like yesterday, March 2020. It was when the world shut down with COVID. And we all were living our favorite apocalyptic movie, right? It was like we were entering into the first episode of The Walking Dead and you're just waiting for the zombies to come out. Um, But that's not why I remember it like yesterday. Because when COVID shut everything down, even though I've been a pastor here for a number of years, I was bivocational, which meant that I had another career and I I owned a salon. I was self-employed. That's where I cut hair. And so due to that, the salon was shut down. And back at that time, we had no idea for how long because we didn't know even what COVID was at the time. And so ended up that the salon ended up being uh, shut down for two months. But then Marika, my wife, was in the dental industry as a dental hygienist and dentist shut down too. And so that meant that she was laid off at that time. And so we found ourselves virtually overnight Uh, the vast majority of our income disappeared in the snap of a finger. Which left us wondering, man, what does this mean? We've got three kids, we own a home. What does this mean for our family? But see, it was during that season that we experienced extravagant generosity from our church community, brothers and sisters here. Because as people heard about our situation, they said, you know what, we're going to take responsibility for them as family. And people took responsibility for us. See, I remember even uh, when, it, when it happened, we had Venmo, like most people, and our Venmo was just pinging constantly. Like every day there was Venmo. And, you know, I'm self-employed and I've never had a paid vacation. So I'm like, hey, everything shut down. This is, this is kind of nice. I could get used to this. Everyone's just paying me to stay home, right? Um, not really. But uh, in reality, that people were just sending us money to support our family. There were people who bought groceries for us and had groceries delivered. People were sending us gift cards to our favorite restaurants and supporting us. And then there was one woman in our church even who she contacted me and said, hey, I know what you guys are going through. And I just got a big tax refund that I wasn't expecting. So send me any bill that you have, no matter the amount, and I'll pay it in full. And I didn't even know people still wrote checks. I thought that was a thing that died in like the year 2000, but people still write checks. And uh, people were writing checks and sending us checks in the mail. Some, Some people we had never even met in our congregation. See, we were blown away, even even moved to tears at the generosity that we had received. And here's what I've seen. My story is not... The only story, because I'm a pastor and the church is like, oh, hey, we need to support the pastor. What I've seen is my story is only one of hundreds of stories like this that have happened throughout our congregation. And I'm going to share some of those stories with you guys later as we celebrate. But see, sadly, as we come to Nehemiah 5 this morning, this is not the way that the people of God are living in Nehemiah's time. And so what we're going to see is Nehemiah is going to confront them, confront the way that they're living selfishly and mistreating and exploiting each other. And the, the thing that Nehemiah wants us to see and the main point of this entire sermon is that rebuilders are not only looking to what they can get, but also what they can give. 
And so before we dive into Nehemiah 5, would you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this place. We want to encounter the very presence and power of Jesus today. And that's only possible through you. And so Spirit of God, would you stand in my body that my words would be your words. Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. It's in your name. Amen. Nehemiah 5, we're going to pick up in verse 1 here. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses in order to get grain because of this famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So the first thing we see in this passage today is get versus give. Nehemiah, Nehemiah says that when we only look at what we can get, we will mistreat each other. See, last week, Warren preached on chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we see there's an external threat. Sanballat and Tobiah that are threatening the community of God's people. But in this chapter five today, the threat has actually moved internally, that it's an internal threat within the community of the people of God, because sometimes the greatest threat to rebuilding community can actually be the community itself. And so the people cry out. There's an outcry, it says here. See, this is the same word that's used in Exodus, back where God's people are oppressed in slavery under Pharaoh's reign and rule. And they cry out to God that that they would be heard, that he would deliver them. And it's the same word here. And so now their own brothers and sisters, the people of God, are treating them like Pharaoh. They're being exploited because hard times have hit. There's a famine in the land, which means there's a shortage of food. And we know in America, anytime there's a shortage, what happens with prices, right? There's a gas shortage, prices go. There's a meat shortage during COVID, prices go. There's currently a a lumber shortage, and so prices go skyrocket, right? Prices are jacked up. And so now what happens is these people find themselves in need, and they have to borrow from other people in their community who have enough. And so there's these loans being given out. And it's not just that the people of God are loaning to those in need, but they're charging interest. Scholars say that, it, it, that it's astronomical amount of interest, up to 50% interest on what is being loaned out to the people of God in need. And so due to this high interest, it becomes impossible for them to get out of this debt, to pay back this debt. But this isn't uncommon today. Right, there's payday loans that we drive by all over. In a few mile radius of our church, there's payday loans everywhere. And the thing with payday loans is they're intentionally placed in lower socioeconomic areas. It's oftentimes called predatory lending because it's not the loan that keeps people enslaved in poverty. It's the astronomical interest rate. 
A lot of these payday loan places charge up to 400% interest rate, which keeps people in poverty. It's poverty perpetuation. And so for us, it's easy to sit there and be like, well, why the heck did they take the loan? It's 50%. I would never do that, right? Well, when tragedy hits, when hard times come, if your family is going to starve, you take the loan and you figure it out later, right? And so now the people here find themselves being enslaved to their brothers and sisters. And they, they say here in verse five that they, they can't help it. They're powerless because men have their vineyards and their fields. See, the situation is so bad that Nehemiah tells us that the people are selling their kids into slavery to try to pay off the debt. The tragic thing for the people of God here is the very reason why people needed to take the loans in the first place is because the people who had enough food were unwilling to share it with those who needed food when the famine came. See, the people didn't take responsibility for the people in their community, but instead they took advantage of them. But here's what I think is so, so crazy about this. The people of God here, it's not that they intentionally huddled up and said, hey, you know what? We're going to oppress and we're going to exploit the poor in our community. That's what we're going to do. No, we don't see that here. But what you do see is they have a mentality. They have a mentality of how can I get what's best for me? And when the famine comes, they say, how can I get what's best for me? And so now the famine is used for them to benefit themselves. And there are those who are making a lot of money at the expense of their brothers and sisters. And so we're told in verse five that the people cry out, but we have the same flesh. But this is our flesh is the same as our brothers. And yet we are exploited. Church. We share in the flesh of Christ. We are family because of Christ's flesh and blood. And here's the thing, what's going on in Nehemiah 5, this is not our situation here at Redemption Tempe, right? People are not economically exploiting one another and praise God for that. Like praise God that that's not our situation. But we can still be like these people because we can still mistreat one another. And I'll tell you what, if we have the same mentality as these people, how can I get what's best for me? If that's the way that we approach each other in relationships, if that's the way that we approach the church, how can I get what's best for me? Then we are two steps away from mistreating each other because it becomes all about what you can get instead of what you can give. And ultimately it is a selfish way to live and life becomes all about getting what's best for you. And if that is the case, you will use people in order to get what's best for you. Are you here at church strictly to get what's best for you or to contribute to what's best your brothers and sisters here within the church community. So you think about the difference between a restaurant and a potluck. Do you approach church like a restaurant or a potluck? See, because at a restaurant, you get to show up at your convenience. You get the menu, 
and you look and you get to order what you want. Not just what you want, but you get to order it your way. All of your preferences are catered to at a restaurant. And then you have paid employees, right? You have the staff, you have the servers, and you have the cooks who are there to serve you. And all you do is show up. They're doing all of the work. You show up to be served. And if you don't like it, you can complain. And if you're really upset and you don't like it, then you never go back. That's one approach to church. But then you have a potluck. Potluck's much different. When you find out there's going to be a potluck, what's the first question that you ask? What can I bring? Right? It's the first question. You say, hey, what can I bring to this potluck? Because you're going to show up bringing food. Everybody contributes their part. You still get to eat. You're still getting something. You receive something, but everybody's contributing. It's both giving and getting. The thing about a potluck is usually it's not going to be the same caliber of food unless you got like a professional chef that's showing up, right? Potluck food's not usually the same quality as a restaurant. Uh, I even know uh, one one of my friends, he and his wife, uh, their RC at a potluck and uh, they actually got food poisoning from their, <laughs> their RC potluck. Something, somebody made them, made them sick. But here's the thing. It's not that they never went back to the potluck. You might be a little hesitant to eat that person's food again, but you still go back to the potluck, right? Even in my own RC, a number of years ago, there was a guy who always would make spicy food. And then we had another guy in our RC, though, who, like, I've never met anybody who could not tolerate the level of spice as him. It was like mayonnaise was spicy to him, right? And so, but he would still eat this guy's spicy food, and he's turning red as this keyboard, just sweating, but he doesn't complain, right? There's just something about a potluck, right? You don't complain about the food. But the thing with a potluck is you never want to be the person who shows up and doesn't bring anything. And we've all been at a potluck where somebody signed up, and it's terrible if it's the main dish. Uh, and then they show up 20 minutes late, and they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't bring anything. It's like, what? And everybody's looking at them like, what? And usually it's that person that takes a double portion of everything else that everybody else brought, right? That's how it goes. See, the potluck is a picture of the church. It's where you receive and you contribute. You receive word and sacrament, but you contribute your part. Are you approaching church? To give only, uh, sorry, to get only or to give. You approaching church to only to get or to give. So historically, one of the things I've loved about our church, Marika and I have been a part of this church for 12 years. I've loved the generosity of our church. See, but what I know is that some of you are newer here. And what I want to encourage you to do is not just to come here to consume the food like a restaurant, but to contribute to the family potluck. Don't just look to get something, but look at how you can give. And I'm not just talking about financial giving and giving money. That's one way that you can give and contribute, but there's other ways, even on a Sunday, that you can serve on a Sunday. You can serve in Redemption Kids. You can serve on a Sunday service team and help make the service flow the way that it flows, that we all get to benefit from. People are contributing their part. But even outside of Sunday, there's ways that you can contribute to the life of the church. Thinking about Redemption Communities, they're on summer break right now, but they're relaunching towards the end of the month, next month. 
Join a redemption community. Contribute in the life of a community. Maybe host one. Bring food for people. Don't give them food poisoning, but bring food. Maybe lead. Lead lead something. Lead a Bible study. There are ways that you can contribute even outside of a Sunday to the health and well-being of the community of brothers and sisters. How can you contribute? Because rebuilders are not just looking to what they can get, but also what they can give. So let's see here how Nehemiah responds to the cries of the people here in verse 6. He says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought the charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent. Could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, the fields, their vineyards, olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Second thing we see in this passage today is that Nehemiah is confronting selfishness. And he says, stop taking advantage of others and start taking responsibility for them instead. He tells us that he's angry, that he's very angry which is a rightful response to the way that God's people are behaving. There's exploitation and injustice within this community. And so Nehemiah hears that they're even selling their kids into slavery and he's angry. And so he calls a public meeting to address it and he confronts their selfishness. And he says, you are sinning. You're breaking God's law. He's referring back to the Old Testament law because in Exodus 22 and Leviticus 25, it forbids this. It says this, if a fellow Israelite falls into poverty, do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. This is God's law. The people are clearly not doing this. They're breaking God's law. Nehemiah is confronting them and their sin See, because lending money in the Old Testament is different than the way that we think, right? Nehemiah is not talking to a bunch of bankers in Western culture. Lending money in the Old Testament was not for the purpose of making money and making a profit, but it was always for the purpose of showing compassion. And so Nehemiah says, stop taking advantage of others and start taking responsibility for them instead. Don't use this famine as an opportunity for your own economic gain, but use it for the sake of your fellow Israelites. Don't be selfish, be selfless, he says. But not only does Nehemiah confront them, but Nehemiah also commands them to action and calls them. He tells them, you must do this. He says, stop the interest. Stop taking interest from them. Give everything that you have taken from them back to them. Treat them as your own flesh and blood. Which means be willing to let your stuff become our stuff. 
Be willing to let your stuff become our stuff, Nehemiah says. Well, why? Why would they do that? Well, he appeals to two things, two motivations. The first, he says, because of the fear of our God. Not just the fear of God, but he says, our God. He's reminding them of their identity, their identity as brothers and sisters, that they live under God's reign and rule, that they're brothers and sisters. But fearing God doesn't mean being scared of him and being afraid of him. Nehemiah is saying fear him, which means identify with God and identify with what he values. And the thing about their God and our God is that he is a generous God and that he has been extravagantly generous to his people. And so Nehemiah is reminding them of who God is and calls them to participate in the very heartbeat of God, which is generosity. But Nehemiah also says, hey, be willing to let your stuff become our stuff for the second motivation because the nations are watching. He says here, to prevent the taunts of the nations for the sake of their witness, their public witness. And Nehemiah even says, this is crazy because we have been trying everything to buy back our own people from slavery. They've been enslaved in exile and we've been trying to get them back, but now you're enslaving the very people who have come back. You're behaving the exact same way as the nations who do not fear God. What are you doing? And so he says, because we fear God, we should live lives that look differently than the watching world, than different, differently than the nations around us. So you and I, we live in a world that is marked by selfishness. And we are a different kind of community. We are a different kind of people when we are generous. Because through our generosity, we get to show the world who God is like, who God is and what he's like. Get to show him his character, that he is a generous God. Church, when you have experienced the extravagant generosity of God, when you realize that Jesus allowed his stuff to become our stuff, when you realize that he paid our debt, you're motivated and you have a desire that you want to live a life of extravagant generosity because of what Jesus has done. This is not a duty, a religious obligation in order to try to earn God's approval, but it's living life in response to the generosity of Jesus that we have received. See, and I am so thankful that we as a church, that we have been marked by extravagant generosity. And see, I know as a pastor, I get a unique vantage point in getting to hear stories and see some of the ways that this is playing out. But what I want to do is take time to even mention and name some of those stories that we could celebrate, that this is not what the pastors are doing. You guys, you all have been extravagantly generous. See, and I've seen ways that you have let your stuff become our stuff through generosity. See, the first way was back when COVID hit. Churches are, are wondering what in the world is going to happen with our giving and church budgets. Do we have to, what do we have to do? Do we have to close our doors? Does everybody get laid off? What is going on? And so we were anticipating budget cuts, but the giving didn't drop off during COVID. And not only did the giving not drop off, but because of the financial stewardship of the history of our church, we had an opportunity 
when COVID hit, that we were able to give $1.5 million away between the extended family of redemption churches, all 10 redemptions pitched in $1.5 million to churches who were in the hardest hit areas of COVID and they're trying to be faithful ministers of the gospel on the ground, $1.5 million. And that's from your generosity. See, even more amazing, just recently we, we, uh, we were looking at something in our pre-COVID numbers. So the number of people who are coming here on a Sunday versus now. So pre-COVID numbers have been cut in half. Our attendance on a Sunday to the people who are here now is about half of what it was before COVID. But the amazing thing is that our giving has stayed the same. Like that is amazing. What that means is that the half who stayed, you all who are here and the new people who have come have participated in this generosity and you have been contributing to the family potluck. And I want to say thank you, but also hear it from our entire staff of pastors and leaders. Like, thank you. Like, we should celebrate that. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> See, but there's other stories besides that. There's a season about, about a year ago where there were multiple people in our church who were in need of cars. Things had happened, their cars died, they, they weren't in a position to buy a new car, and there were multiple different people in our church who gave cars to people for free. Said, hey, you can't pay me, I want to bless you, I want to take care of you, I want to take responsibility for you. And cars were given, multiple cars were given to people in this church for free. Like, that's amazing. Could have sold those for thousands of dollars. See, and in this season, similar to how I experienced uh, economic hardship, that during this last year, multiple people have been laid off in our church. And people find themselves hitting a hard time financially. But there have been numerous communities, redemption communities, other communities that have wrapped around people and said, hey, you know what? We are going to float you. We're going to support you, support your family, whatever it may be, and, and support you financially. We'll pay your bills until you get back on your feet. And I'm talking thousands and thousands of dollars that people in our church have been wrapping around and taking ownership of the people as brothers and sisters. They've said, hey, we want to take responsibility. We want to bless you. When COVID hit, we had a help link that we put up for anybody who has a need. It could be big. You need your bills paid. It could be small. You need somebody. You can't leave the house and you need somebody to pick up groceries for you from big to small. But we had 70 different people fill out help, needs for help. And through your generosity, every single one of those needs was met. There was not one single need that came our way as a church where we said, hey, we can't help. Like that is amazing, especially in a time where so many people are being hit. And yet you all have said, hey, you know what? We're going to take responsibility for people and not take advantage of people when hard times come. Recently, there was a member in our church who had a bunch of medical bills going, medical things going on, medical bills, and... We as a church, because of your generosity, out of our benevolence, when medical bills hit and hard times came, we were able to pay $5,000 of medical bills for this person, like from your generosity. See, the stories like this, I could go on and on and on, but for the sake of time, there is so many, there are so many examples and stories of how you all have loved each other so well through generosity. And I just want to say thank you. 
Like it is a joy to be able to stand up here and rather have to preach the way that Nehemiah is preaching to these people. Like I am thankful that I don't have to confront the same kind of selfishness that Nehemiah was confronting. Because rebuilders are not only looking to what they can get, but also what they can give. And you all have been embodying this. And so Nehemiah is going to continue on. And what he's going to tell us is the way that he has lived. Because he's a governor. He's been a governor in the land of Judah for 12 years, but he's going to tell us specifically the way that he's lived as governor. Because as governor, the governors were given a food allowance. But Nehemiah is going to tell us that every other governor before him has taken advantage of that food allowance, but he refuses to use it. And so we're going to find out why here. Let's pick up in verse 15b. Nehemiah says, but I did not do so, talking about the food allowance. I did not take the food allowance because the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. The last thing we see in this passage is that Nehemiah says, live generously. And he's inviting us to follow his example of generosity because he's the governor in the land, but he is a different kind of governor. He refuses this, daily, this food allowance that was a per diem. It was a per diem that was given to governors and it was fine wines and meats. And he said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to take that food allowance because that food allowance came from a heavy tax that was paid to the king and it, and it created a heavy burden on the people that were having to pay this tax. And so Nehemiah says, hey, I'm not going to claim what I have a right to as the governor. And he says he has the very same motivation that he called the people to when he confronted their selfishness. He says, my motivation for not doing this is because of the fear of God that he identifies with the very heart of God and he knows that God is a generous God. And because he identifies with him, it then propels him to live this life of generosity, even as a governor, a man who has much power and much wealth, but he says, no, I wanna be generous. See, instead of thinking about what he can get, he's thinking about what he can give for the sake of the people. As governor, he has wealth, but his wealth doesn't have him. See, he doesn't use people for the sake of his wealth. If his wealth had him, that's what he would do. He would use people to get more wealth, to live in opulence, but that's not how Nehemiah operates. But instead, he uses his wealth for the sake of the people. And we see this in verse 18, because he's feeding 150 people every day. What he says is, I did not demand the food allowance. He says, I paid this out of my own expense, meaning that he lived this life of generosity. Not only did he refuse to take the food allowance because the heavy burden it put on the people, he then uses what he has to be a blessing to the people and says, I'm actually going to pay at my own expense. 
See, when people tell us how to live, what we should do, there's a phrase, because we desire for words to be lived out, there's a common phrase in our society, practice what you practice what you preach, because we want to see words lived out. But what is far more powerful than that is when you see people who preach what they've practiced. And where I see this a lot of times is you think about healthy living, right? You think about a diet, you think about a gym or a workout program or a supplement, something that someone's doing, right? Somebody's on this diet, they're practicing a way of life. They're on keto, they've dropped 60 pounds. Everybody sees like, wow, man, this is amazing. You know, it's a healthy way of living that they've been living. They've been practicing something. Same thing with a workout. Somebody's doing this workout, going to a gym, CrossFit. They're looking ripped and toned. Everybody's noticing, wow, this is good. See, when someone lives a certain way, practices something, and people see that it's good, all of a sudden, you begin to tell others about it. Hey, you should do this as well. You're preaching what you've practiced. And then what usually happens is, hey, you know what? Keto sounded crazy, but I think I'm going to jump on keto, right? I think I'm going to check out that gym or try this workout program because you see that someone is preaching the very thing they've practiced. This is what Nehemiah is doing. See, he's preaching and and calling people to something, calling people to a generous life, but he can do it because he's lived it. This is the way in which he has practiced, a lifestyle in which he has embodied. See, Nehemiah knows that generous living is healthy living. He knows that that's where the good life is found, is living generosity, because you reflect the very character and heartbeat of God. He was blessed to be a blessing. And now we are invited to follow his example of generosity. But how? How can you embody this kind of generosity? And what I want to do is to take a couple minutes here to sit silently, to reflect, and to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you during this time to use this time to ask the Holy Spirit, who? Who is one person that you can be extravagantly generous towards? Around giving and tithing. Maybe you're here and you've never given financially back to God in response to what he's done. But hearing these stories of generosity and what people in our congregation have been able to do and how beautiful it is, maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring something in you where you say, hey, you know what? I actually want to participate in this and contribute financially. Or three, maybe you're here and even like Brandon said in the confession time, maybe you're distracted and you're just kind of out of it. It's the holiday, you're distracted and you're just having trouble being inspired to be generous. Then I wanna ask you to take this time and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would show you all of the ways that God has been extravagantly generous to you. And in a few minutes, we'll come back and I'll lead us in communion.
we can be a generous people when we see that Nehemiah gives us a glimpse of another man, Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that we might become rich. Because Jesus is the one who said that our debt was his debt and he willingly paid it in full on the cross. Because Jesus is the ultimate rebuilder who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one who enables us to be a generous people because he has been so generous to us. And see, as we come to communion this morning, the invitation is to Jesus, our generous savior who didn't exploit us, but paid our debt in full. And so at this time, you can get the communion elements out. And as you open the bread, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. You can take and eat. And the wine that's represented in the, in the cup of juice here is Christ's body that was freely shed for us to cleanse our slate of debt so that we could be free. You can take and drink. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, Lord, that, that we, have been, we have been so blessed by your generosity, Lord, that you have made us new, you have made us whole, you have paid our debt, Lord, that we are freed as your people. And so, Jesus, I pray that we at Redemption Tempe would continue. Lord, our history of generosity, I pray, would continue forward, that we would be a generous people who not only look to what we can get, but also what we can give. Lord, that we would be the rebuilders that Nehemiah is talking about. Lord, that we would not live selfishly, but we would live selflessly as we take responsibility for others in our midst. Lord, that the watching world would see our generosity as your people, and they would say that they want in on that, that they would want to be a part of who you are, Lord, of, of your community of people. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be stirring in us a desire to continue to be generous. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.